Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back to Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on Buffalo Rumblings and everywhere else you get your fine Bills-related podcasts. As you know, I am John Boccasino, uh, being joined by my co-host Jamie D'Amico for this post-playoff debacle, I guess I want to say, uh, recap here episode of Believe. We are going to try to for the next 30 minutes or so, be uh, therapists, uh, be people that are here to talk with each other and get Bill's Mafia through what was another premature departure from the playoffs, another season that ends minus the ultimate goal of winning that Super Bowl trophy, uh, hosting, hoisting the Lombardi trophy. Uh, Jamie, it's, it's still hard to believe what we watched on Sunday at Highmark Stadium. But my first question for you is this. What stage in the grieving process are you currently finding yourself in right now? You're not going to believe this when I tell you, but acceptance. I am already in the acceptance Okay, I'll bite. Tell me why. Well, the reason is I didn't have a lot of confidence in this Bills team being a Super Bowl contender by the time we got to about week 12 of the season. By that point, it was very obvious to me that they are a sloppy team. They don't block well. They drop passes. They miss tackles. And you need to be better than that when you make it to the playoffs. And I didn't see them turning it around suddenly when they got there. We saw against a Miami team that was completely overmatched that the Bills could could barely pull that game off. And you put them up against a team like Cincinnati, who was the hottest team in the league, coming off of barely beating a team that was the coldest team in the league. Yeah, that's it's what I expected. And before the game was even over, I started going through my five steps of uh, of trauma. And, you know, the, the bargaining began like, hey, if they can stop them on this third and four, we might have something here. Nope. Defensive backs are playing too far off. The coaches are, their heads are somewhere else. This team is not going to do it. It was an embarrassment. When To me, when your team loses that badly, it's clear that their opponent was much, much better. See, that's what we're talking about here, John. Did the Bills blow the game or did they run into a better team? What is your take on that? So here's my take on that. And, and 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 in fairness, I'm going to give, since I asked you the question about the five stages of grief, um, I am still in the depression stage, I feel like. And, and look, this is not life or death. I mean, this is a football game. It's a football team. Um, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm still in the depression state because I allowed myself to be duped. Uh. Um, I allowed myself to be fooled, you know, yet again um, by – a red hot start to the regular season, some fairly imp- I mean, think back to like when the Bills were the prohibitive Super Bowl favorites and they start out out of a like shot out of a cannon, destroying the Rams. Little did we know mm-hmm. how bad the Rams were going to be and crushing the Titans at home on Monday Night Football again, not knowing how bad the Titans were going to be this year. The, the Bills had such false hope. For their fans. And I feel like I allowed myself to be duped by these teams' warts, which you did a great job of mentioning. Awful play on both sides of the offensive line Mm -hmm. and defensive line. Um, uh, An inability to tackle, an inability. 
I don't want to say to adjust to what the Bengals do, but to even come out having a plan for what the Bengals are going to do. I mean, you know what Cincinnati's strengths are and what their weaknesses are. And we talked about the Bengals being down three offensive linemen. The Bills got one damn sack sack. on Joe Burrow. They hit him three total times. Three times in a game where it was... And and that's the thing when it comes to, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. When when the Bills got it to a one-score game, it was like, all right, you know what? In spite of all of the shit that they've played, in spite of this awful performance, the Bills are getting the ball and have a chance mm-hmm. to tie the game. And they didn't capitalize on it. And that's when I should have moved on to the acceptance part, but I reverted back to anger. Um it ruined what was an awesome weather yeah. game at the stadium. I mean, that snow was picturesque. It literally was like being in a snow globe. It was light snow. It was fluffy. It was fun. And we had such a damn good time at our tailgate. And maybe all of Bill's Mafia. Here's the thing I'm going to say. I'm, I'm rambling. I know I am. And I'll get to your question in a second. But I feel like the extenuating circumstances. I... The, the Bengals don't give a shit about all the drama and tragedy that Buffalo has endured over the last no, not at all. 10 months. But, but it, 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 for me, it was like, oh my gosh, what a picture perfect storybook ending it would be if the Bills could lift this city, um, the city that's gone through so much trauma this year. Um, we've, we've looked forward to Bill's games as a way to grieve and heal together. And then DeMar Hamlin makes an appearance, an emotional appearance. You know, he's at the stadium, like everything was scripted for the bills to win this game on paper. And then the team that showed up, they didn't show up. It was a no show and all their warts were exposed. So that's kind of my, um, my thought process. And I feel like the Bengals were clearly the better team in every aspect. And, and when I say this, Jamie, the Bills were the, the, the worst team when it came to the Bengals. The Bills were outcoached. They were outplayed. They were outstrategized by the opposition. And I'm starting to really have doubts about this Bills team. Now, granted, a lot's going to change, hopefully. I Well, I don't know. I can't say that because this regime is averse to change and they're, they're prone to running things back. But I'm really worried that Buffalo's Super Bowl window with Josh Allen is not closing, but has closed or is very near closed because the AFC is a stacked conference and the bills are a feeble team compared to the chiefs, the Bengals, even some of the other teams that are going to be nipping at their heels, even in the AFC East. I mean, I don't know. I feel like the this is a, another in a painful series of squandered postseason opportunities for the Bills. Okay, so I am going to give you some advice that I would also like to give to all Bills fans out there right now. Stop and take a breath, John Bacasino. The the last <sighs> loss of the season always hurts. So I want to take you on a journey back about 30 years ago. The early 90s Buffalo Bills, four straight Super Bowls, countless Hall of Famers coming off of those teams. What happened every time the Bills lost a Super Bowl, mind you, not a playoff game, a Super Bowl? 
I will tell you. Because I'm I'm old enough to remember this. I was I was in high school when this when the Super Bowl run began. So you can bet there was nothing more important in my life than the Buffalo Bills at that time. Their first Super Bowl came when I was in ninth grade. I didn't care about girls as much as I cared about the Buffalo Bills. So I knew everything that was going on <laughs> at that point. And let me tell you, after the first loss, much like last year when the Bills lost to the Chiefs in that crazy game, it was, wait till next year. We were the best team and we got robbed. We're going to make it right next season. And the next season came and went and they lost. And then what? Then it was, Jim Kelly's overrated. We need to get a real quarterback. Marv Levy's a bad coach. We got to get him out of here. Bruce Smith is a locker room cancer. This guy is the reason the players on this team don't get along. We need to get rid of him. We need to trade him. We need to get rid of him. You know what? He wants to be a free agent. Let him walk. Take the draft picks that turned into uh, Steve Atwater and Bobby Humphrey. I, I don't know if you remember that, but the Broncos tried to sign him as a free agent. Oh, yeah. No, I, I do. It was... And it was, and that was one of those, you know, I mean, it was, it was it, not to t- derail your, your passionate uh, rant here, because I feel like it's leading to a really good place. But I will say that that AFC championship game where the bills barely eked by the Broncos yep. on the defensive touchdown. And, you know, I mean, th- it, it takes a lot to go in your favor. That's why, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying about taking a deep breath. I'm just, I'm in the moment right now. And in the moment as fans, I think we're allowed and we're, we deserve the right to take stock on Absolutely. where this team is going yes. um, because that's really, again, it's another one of the healthy. And, and I want to say all of this as we're recording this podcast, there are 10,000 other issues that are plaguing our country, that are plaguing our society that are way above oh, sure. Buffalo Bills football in terms of importance and priority. So please note people listening. I'm fine. I'm just, I wanted to vent. I wanted to rant and I wanted to get some things off my chest. So with that being said, Jamie, continue on with why there should be a need to pick your okay. head up. So if you will. what, what I'm getting at here is there is a tendency to allow our disappointment to cause us to want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, start from scratch. And frankly, that's not that that's not how successful organizations are run. Successful organizations take a, a look at what went wrong and they attempt to fix it. And yes, you're right. The rest of the AFC seems to have caught up to the Buffalo Bills. So what are they going to do to adjust? It's not about getting rid of players that disappointed you. It's not about throwing coaches to the wolves because, hey, you know, Ken Dorsey should have been better at this, that, and the other thing. The issue is no coach is perfect. And if you watch a lot of other teams play, they make a lot of questionable coaching decisions too. Their fan bases are always pissed off at both coordinators and want the backup quarterback to be starting. You know, thank God we're out of that phase. But let me give something to you here. Yes, they're averse to change. But did you happen to see over the past 20 seasons how many wins the Bills had? Previous to the McBean regime, 
the Bills averaged about six wins a season starting in 2003. Since McDermott and Bean arrived, they had nine wins, six, 10, 13, 11, and 13 wins. This is a team you can say, yes, they, they can win in the regular season, but they can't get it done in the playoffs. Okay, yes, that's true. But let's take a look at what is holding them back and how to improve what they currently have because a lot of people are calling for major turnover. That's not what wins games in the long run. I, I appreciate and I'm glad, Jamie, that you mentioned um, a lot of very pertinent information and and thought processes. And I'm not here sitting here telling you fire McDermott and fire Frazier and fire Ken Dorsey. No, you're not. You're not. There's a lot of people out there who are. Oh, yeah. There, there's people that want Buffalo to cut everybody besides Josh Allen. There's people that and, – and, and I want to address a couple of th- – this podcast and, and for our listeners – a lot of times Jamie and I will come in and we'll either discuss like a topic ahead of time or we'll kind of set the stage. But all I told Jamie today was I want to just have a raw conversation about the aftermath of Buffalo's 27 to 10 setback to the Bengals in the AFC divisional round. And what we're giving you is our raw unfiltered emotions as how we feel as frustrated, you know, Bills fans where this season had such promise and hope. But I think it was, I think Jamie one thing that we need to admit is, and you've you you've been better at this than I have all along. I I will forgive or I will trust the Bills when it comes to personnel decisions mm. and that they're making the right choices and they're making the right draft picks. I think it's seriously time that we have a conversation about are the Bills a bad drafting team? Because they have swung and missed on a lot of high draft picks and as great as the Josh Allen pick was and, and the bills, even though it's interesting, they were the bills um, when they drafted, when they traded up to draft Josh Allen, you know, a lot of people were in the moment of, Oh my gosh, what a reach of a pick. Yeah. And you know, Buffalo doesn't know what it's doing. It's a raw prospect. And then you find out that there were stories where Seattle wanted to trade Russell Wilson to Cleveland for the right to pick Josh Allen, you know, number one, and all these teams had Josh much higher on the draft board. Like as great of a hire and as great of a move as it was for Buffalo to draft Josh Allen, the Bills have swung and missed more often than they've hit with their draft picks. And I'll give the 22 class a break because I think that there is a lot of promising potential led by Christian Benford and led by James Cook and some others who were picked in that draft class. But other than that, Jamie, the Bills have been pretty woeful with their drafting. And I'm looking especially at A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Basham, even Ed Oliver, you know, the first-round pick. Ed Oliver has great plays he makes for this team. But on a consistent basis, when the Bills were facing a depleted Bengals offensive line, the defensive line no-showed. When your best defensive lineman, once Von Miller goes down, is Shaq Lawson, there's problems with what Buffalo has done. And so when I say that I I, I know they're not going to do wide-scale changes, I think they do need to make some wholesale 
investments and reassessing what they've done with the defensive line and the offensive line, because those two units got pushed around in every facet on Sunday versus the Bengals. And outside of Mitch Morse, who is dealing with multiple concussion issues and Deion Dawkins at left tackle, everyone else took a massive step back on the offensive line. I'm looking at you, Spencer Brown, Roger Saffold and Ryan Bates. There is just so there are so many issues with this team and there's not much cap space for the bills to address it. That's where my general malaise comes from when it comes to the future of this team and their Super Bowl window potentially closing, because I feel like I overvalued what Buffalo had on both sides of the ball and it came up woefully short. I think you hit the nail on the head. The issue I see with this team is the lack of home run draft picks. It has been five consecutive drafts since they have really hit a home run. Now, Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver is better than people think. You know, it's hard to really evaluate a defensive tackle. And he does have some splash plays. I think a lot of people expected him to have more because there was this lens of looking at him as an Aaron Donald because he's a little undersized. He's good. And he should have stepped up. Jaquan Johnson wasn't there. He's playing next to Tim Settle. He was playing more snaps than he probably should have. I'm not making excuses for him, but you know, let's take a quick look at the last few drafts. I'm prepared, buddy. Let's dig into it because I assume you're going to start with the 2019 draft, right? Perfect. So Ed Oliver, he was a good pick. You traded up for Cody Ford, which was a disaster. Devin Singletary, he has been serviceable, probably a better back than he gets credit for because he runs behind a bad offensive line. Dawson Knox, he's good, right? He's probably a top 10 tight end in the league, right? I would say, I I would say Dawson Knox is the thing, and I, I'm actually going to cut Dawson a bit of a slack in our critiques here because not only was he the best pass catcher on the field in the loss to the Bengals. He is, I think a very underrated blocker. um, And I think he's really shored up a lot of the weaknesses that he had in his game. And he also, I I feel like Dawson is going to have a breakthrough year next year because of what he had to go through personally, losing his younger brother, Luke uh, passing away. Suddenly I almost feel like, and, and this is Jamie, this is one of the things where, This Bills team had so much more off the field to deal with than any of their counterparts. Mm -hmm. Every team deals with tragedy. Every team has personal issues to deal with. The Bills, I'm sure, I think part of what Sunday was, part of the reason they no-showed, was the physical and the mental fatigue of just having to carry these burdens of seeing your friend and your teammate almost die on the field to helping out your family members and friends who went through the horrible blizzards around the holidays and the, the, the fatalities of the snowstorms. That stuff takes a toll on you after a while. It's hard Absolutely. to compartmentalize all that trauma and solely focus on football without it affecting you. Uh, you're 100% right. And Roger Saffold, as well as Micah Hyde, spoke to that. And as much as we want to say, well, you should just focus on football, you know, they said that the team was lacking energy and 
if you watch the 30 for 34 Falls of Buffalo, one of the things that they mention is that by the second half of that fourth Super Bowl, they just had nothing left in the tank. It was all all of those games from the previous six seasons, the extra playoff games, the lack of belief in themselves. It just it built. And you also saw a Bills team that just physically, mentally didn't seem prepared for the game. But let's let's go back to the drafting. Because I, th- I think you have something s- significant here. The 2020 draft, Epinesa, Zach Moss, Gabriel Davis, from Tyler Bass, Isaiah Hodgins, Dane Jackson. Well, you've got three starters from that, but a kicker, I don't, okay, Tyler Bass is the best player to come out of that draft. Thank you. I was hoping that you were going to bring that point up. He's the most consistent weapon. He is, even though Gabe Davis has had two great playoff games in his Bills career, Tyler Bass is a consistent weapon for the offense. He is by far the best draft pick, and he was picked number 188 in the sixth round. Right, right. Gabriel Davis, we all expected him to take a step forward this season. After last season, did you have any doubt that he was a bona fide number two? No, because I had recency bias. I bought into the four-touchdown, 200-yard game against the Chiefs, and we all assumed that, okay, Emmanuel Sanders, the vet, is gone. Gabe slides up to two. They'll have great slot production from the guys that they're bringing in, and this offense will not miss a beat. Isaiah McKenzie, we all thought, was ready. And and well, I did. Yeah, well, yeah. That that's a whole that's a whole other conversation point about the veterans who disappointed. But um, you're and, and then I'm I'm not going to play the game of the what ifs. I'm not going to go down the Wyatt Teller road with Isaiah Hodgins. I mean. He oozed potential, right. but had yet to put anything together uh, on the field and staying healthy. And so what he did for the Giants, good for him. I'm happy that the kid has succeeded. I don't know if it's going to be sustainable long term, but he could he could be like a Robert Foster uh, type of, you know, boom and then bust type of prospect. But I'm not losing sleep over He had three years to make his mark on the Bills roster and couldn't claim a position. Look at it that Exactly. Way. And then he goes to a... He had three years... To make it clear to the coaches that he deserved playing time. And he goes to a wide receiver starved organization and it's no surprise that he breaks out. But yeah, he, so basically Jamie, what I'm hearing from you is the, 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 the volatility and drafting is not, of course, drafting is an imperfect science and teams miss way more than they hit, but for the bills to have in and 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 this isn't even you know you, you touched on the 20 class and I'll give you the the 21 class was Boogie was Greg Rousseau in the first round Boogie in the second Spencer Brown in the third Tommy Doyle in the fifth Marquez Stevenson Damar Hamlin and Rashad Wild Goose in the sixth and Jack Anderson in the seventh round and we're not going to talk about 22 it's too early to assess how right. well but 21 is looking like a disaster outside of Greg Rousseau, who I don't know, I, I I don't want to pin all of this on on him for the defensive line's failings, but I think the Bills thought when they went with Rousseau and Basham in the first and second round, they would pair them with AJ Epinesa, the second rounder from the year prior, and Ed Oliver, the first rounder from 2019, and then they add in Von Miller and, and McBean 
is probably thinking, of course, combining Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, they're probably thinking, wow, we finally addressed the flaw in our defense. We will get after the quarterback Mm -hmm. with young, aggressive, hungry edge rushers and pass rushers, and we'll make Patrick Mahomes feel vulnerable and feel hurried in the pocket. The Bills have spent so much draft capital on the D-line, and what do they have to show for it? They're st- and they they put themselves in a place where they're they're now stuck. They they are stuck with these players until their contracts are up because you can't get anything for them via trade. And let's face it, Boogie Basham was such a disappointing pick because everybody wanted Creed Humphrey, who has turned into an All Pro, but Boogie is a replacement level player. Do you know what Boogie's best play has been as a Bill this year? It was a play that didn't count. It was the remarkable hustle once he jumped off sides on that key drive oh, on the right. game-winning touchdown. He, he's off sides by a mile. And then he showed me this motor that I'm like, where the hell has this been all year? Where Joe Burrow doesn't realize, or he, I think he realizes he wants a free play because Chase is running down the seam and he's going to be open. And Basham goes after him like, a 400-pound man chasing a triple cheeseburger. He wants to get there and sack Burrow (laughs) so badly. And then he does, and you're like, where has this explosiveness been all year? Yeah. Sorry, tangent there, but continue. No, it's, it's, it's okay. But I've been thinking about this, and you always see that certain teams have blind spots when it comes to scouting. Bill Belichick and, and and cornerbacks, like they just swing and miss on corners all the damn time. Do we have enough information that we can say with some certainty that the Bills seem to have a blind spot when it comes to the, to the defensive end position? I think enough evidence is mounting where um, we can say that there has definitely been an issue with their drafting of uh, defensive linemen. I, I do want to say, and I, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm trying to find the stat here and I'm not able to come up with it on the fly. I know I said I didn't do any research. This is all off the cuff, but there was, um, the, I feel like, I wonder if this would be a different conversation if Von Miller was still healthy and still out there because the bills up until Von Miller's injury had been, I think a top six team in the league in generating pressure on the quarterback in sacking the quarterback in hurrying the quarterback Mm -hmm. and those disruptive plays you want to see from your defensive line. When he went out, they fell to, I think 22nd or 23rd in the league um, in those stats Mm -hmm. there. I mean, that's a massive difference and that's one guy you're taking away, but it's one play. It's one player that, to Bean and McDermott's credit, they thought he was going to be a difference maker. And he did. He lifted everyone else around them up to be a better uh, pass rusher and better run stuffer and better just overall uh, defensive uh, component for this defensive line. They were much better clearly with Von Miller on the field than without him. It's unfortunate that his absence, I, maybe it's not unfortunate. It shines a light on just some of the, the overall weaknesses that this defensive line still has. Mm-hmm. 
Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There's something else that I, I want to talk about is that the, the defensive line and the coverage are inextricably linked. The better the coverage, the better the defensive line looks because they have more of an opportunity to get to the quarterback. If if your coverage guys are letting receivers get open right off the mark, then your defensive line has no chance of getting to the quarterback. Where conversely, if they are getting to the quarterback quickly, it makes the coverage look good. We have to keep in mind what has been going on with the Buffalo Bills this season. The Buffalo Bills have lost two for a a good portion of the season, two all pros. One all pro is coming off, another all pro is coming off an injury and wasn't himself. And a fourth all pro was in and out of the lineup because of injuries that mounted. That's Micah Hyde and Von Miller lost for significant portions of the season. Trey White working his way back from the ACL, which is really an 18-month recovery period. And you had Jordan Poyer, who's in and out of the lineup. When you take those guys out of the back end, that's a whole lot of talent that puts additional pressure on the defensive line because they gotta they gotta get there a lot quicker than they needed to before to make a play. And I I do want to throw out there. The cornerback who was starting the season, getting a lot of playing time, Christian Benford, who looks like they really hit on that draft pick, he was injured for a substantial portion of the season as well. Kyer Elam also got hurt. So you didn't have the development from those players that you might have seen had they been able to stay on the field. A lot of what happened with the Buffalo Bills this year had to do with the injury bug, and we talked about it previous years at some point, they're going to regress to the mean. They were way too healthy the previous few years. And this year, it caught You're up. You're right. Health is one of those things you can't predict. You can't 
you know, you can't expect a team to have all of its starters play all the regular season games that you need them to. There's going to be injuries um, that pop up and, and the bills defense was banged up. And I think that, you know, and we'll talk about, you know, we have, we have all off season, uh, especially up leading up to the draft and free agency to discuss what the bills can do, because here's the thing, as much as bills fans, and I've been trying to stay off of Twitter, uh, which can be a cesspool of <laughs> negativity. Stay away right and now. And misinformation. Man. I mean, don't get me started on the jackasses who think that DeMar Hamlin died on the field in Cincinnati and that was a clone uh, in the press box. And he <laughs> died because of the COVID vaccine and all this bullshit. If you come at me with that garbage, be prepared to be taken down like a freaking spider monkey because you are full of it. And that's an awful take. And you deserve <laughs> to go to the seventh layer of hell for spreading that misinformation and that propaganda bullshit. So don't start with me on that. Okay. I've never heard you state anything so strongly in the spider monkey reference. It's amazing. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I had, I have to laugh a little bit, Jamie, because there's, there's so much, so much idiotic thought or lack of thought on, on Twitter. Um, and and yes. it's been frustrating and I advise Bills fans to not go on Twitter for a while if you're still in kind of a a dark place over, you know, the Buffalo Bills season ending. Um we have we have all off season to discuss what Brandon Bean is going to do and he will like I was saying, Bills fans are pissed, the players are just as pissed off and I want to commend Stefan Diggs for being as raw with his emotion as he was. Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, let me set the record straight on this from my fan perspective. There is no feud between these two. There is no reason to think that Diggs and Allen aren't going to be BFFs and figure a way to work this out. Diggs is him. He was the only consistent playmaker that Josh Allen could count upon. And what you saw in the Bengals game was the horrible play of the offensive line giving Josh zero time to find other weapons to find other receivers I am fully and Jamie I want your thoughts on this as I passionately mm-hmm. laud into another uh, topic here on believe I am actually of the school of thought that the bills have pretty good playmakers for Josh Allen on offense in Stefan Diggs in Gabriel Davis in Dawson Knox in Khalil Shakir in even Cole Beasley, I think, will come back for another year. And even though he's a retreat, I think he brings enough in the slot. I don't think the Bills' number one priority is adding a DeAndre Hopkins or a top-level wide receiver. It's protecting Josh Allen by shoring up the offensive line. This offensive line has been neglected for too long. The Bills have not spent draft capital on an offensive lineman that has made any look here. Here are the draft picks the bills have used on the offensive line in the last couple of years. Luke Tenuta is a sixth rounder who nothing, absolutely nothing from him. He's a sixth rounder. You're not expecting much from him, but they spent a sixth rounder in 22 in 21. They took two behemoths in Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle. I think Spencer Brown is better than he played this year, but he took a major step backwards with his play. And Tommy Doyle. And they were considered projects. They were. They were both raw prospects. They were both kids who, because you can't teach the size and the height and the weight that those two bring. I mean, they were hulking men. It's going to take time. But Tommy Doyle's best play for the Bills was that touchdown pass he caught from Josh Allen 
in the wild card game in 21. He is not anything that I'm looking forward to as being a solid offensive lineman. And Jack Anderson was cut and claimed by the Eagles. He was a seventh rounder. They didn't pick a single offensive lineman in 20. And in 2019, as you mentioned earlier, they made the ill-fated move to trade up for Cody Ford, who has been an absolute dumpster fire of a selection, a waste of a second round pick. The cold hard facts are, Jamie, the Bills need to do something to address the offensive line because you saw Josh Allen battered and bruised and banged up on the field, and he was getting no help whatsoever from left guard Roger Saffold, who was a major liability with his pass blocking. Ryan Bates took a major step backwards, and so did Spencer Brown. This offensive line, to me, the Bills need to follow the blueprint of what the Philadelphia Eagles have done. I think the reason the Eagles are going to win the whole damn thing this year is they have the best offensive line and the best defensive line, and that can cover up a lot of other deficiencies if you can give your team time to both get after the quarterback and then protect the quarterback and open up the run blocking. Offensive line needs to be shored up this offseason. Absolutely, and you go all the way back to the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s. They did it with possibly the best offensive line in history. It's it's not a secret that that you win with offensive line. Now you have to you have to pick and choose where you're going to put your money when you're when you're building a roster. And the Bills very clearly do not want to spend they don't want to spend heavily at receiver, running back, or the offensive line. Clearly. And nor should they. If I but, hear one more person say that Bijan Robinson out of Texas should be the player the Bills draft in the first round. I will throw some blue cheese at them because that is just an awfully <laughs> cold take. Yeah. So, you know, I I understand when last year when fans were saying the Bills got to get faster. Well, they did with James Cook at the end of the second round. So uh, I'm tired of spending draft capital on running backs. But anyway, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I got y'all worked up with my uh, my offensive line rant, and um, so Jamie, here here, I'll I'll try, I'll try to get us back on track um, with with a, a a final thought because we could we have all off season again to address what the Bills should do, um, the future of some of the veterans like Jordan Poyer, but I want to start with this, and here's one of the reasons I am I started off this podcast with a rare negative tone. I am legitimately worried about what the Bills will be able to do to keep their Super Bowl window open. Now, I will say this. I feel just so when Joe Burrow, as much as I despise, you know, uh, what he did to the Bengals leading uh, them to victory over Buffalo, I admire his confidence. I admire his cockiness. And when he responded to a reporter's question about his Super Bowl window, he basically said his whole career is his Super Bowl window. Mm -hmm. Josh Allen is that type of quarterback who, as long as the Bills have Josh Allen, he's going to keep them in games. They're going to win some games they shouldn't, and he's going to be a magician a lot of the time on the offense. Do you think Buffalo's Super Bowl window is closing knowing how Buffalo has basically six? No, they have they have nine players next year under contract for $10 million or more. And that's not even counting Tremaine Edmonds, who I feel needs to be brought back 
given what he brings to this defense with the inflated cap numbers. Josh's cap hit goes to 40 million next year. Stefan Diggs is 20. Von Miller's 18.7. Trey White, 16.4. Dion's 14.9. And then Matt Milano, Mitch Morris, Micah Hyde, and Ed Oliver are all 10 million plus. With the cap restraints, with the failures in drafting, with the competitiveness of the AFC, do you think Buffalo's Super Bowl window has closed? Closed permanently, no. I do think, however, that their window is not, it will not be the same in 2023 that it was in 2022. They went all in on this season. And to hell with the salary cap going forward, they were going to make it happen this year. It didn't happen. So every once in a while, good teams have to take their medicine when it comes to the salary cap and then bounce back. Is the window closing or closed? No, because it's not a year-to-year thing. It's a span of time. So the Bills are going to have a Super Bowl window until Josh Allen is 36 years old. Is their likelihood of getting there going to be as strong next year as it was this year coming into the season? I will say no, but that may set them up for a better run in 2024. I I like your optimism. I like the fact that, and I'm not saying the window has closed, but the the window that looks so bright last year, I would have, you know, and and I know that this is, you know, I was talking to my buddies as we were uh, doing our tailgate for before the Bengals game. And it was like, if you had told me back in 2009, when a young John Boccasino was, an early season ticket holder. I was in my fourth year of having season tickets. The drought was still roaring on. If you had told me back then that I would get to go see three home playoff games, a home playoff game in three straight years at that point, I would have been like, pass me that wacky tobacco <laughs> because these bills, there's no way that's going to happen. So the, the strides that the franchise has made to get back to being one of the perennial powers is amazing. But I just want them to to get over the hump and win the whole right. damn thing. And th- there's a new challenge now. I mean, the Bills, I will be so disappointed if Brandon Bean and the Bills decide to run it back again with this core group. They can't. Physically, they can't. Financially, they can't. And talent-wise, something different needs to come in. And I, that's Von Miller was a different piece from last year to this year. Now, they're not going to be able to afford a Von Miller type, unless they do some crazy restructuring of deals, they're not going to be able to bring in a guy making an average of $20 million per season. This is right. the most critical. So, so forget about DeAndre Hopkins is what you're telling. Absolutely. Forget about D hop. Yep. I, I, there, there's certain bills, mafia members and media members who have been championing the DeAndre Hopkins move. It ain't going to happen, nor should it happen. I still think the bills if they can go after a wide receiver two to bump Gabe Davis down to three, that's a good start. Um, but they need that. I'm looking at DJ Chark. We'll talk about it another time, but that's the guy I'm earmarking. I like right. that. I like his move. I like what he would bring to this offense. We can go through all sorts of the wide receiver options. But this, to me, Jamie, is the most instrumental, pivotal offseason that the Bills have faced in the last 25 years. Because if they make the right moves, they can be right there 
with the Chiefs and the Bengals and the Ravens who are going to bounce back and the rest of the AFC in fighting for supremacy. That This is Brandon Bean's time now. He needs to go out there and show that trust the process isn't just a phrase that got Bills fans through the drought. It's something we can rally behind now to move this team forward. And I look at a perfect example of this, Jamie, the Kansas City Chiefs. They lost arguably their most dynamic weapon in Tyreek Hill. And yet somehow Andy Reid and company found a way to retool that roster and play within the salary cap. It can be done. It needs to be done. The sky is not falling. It just sucks that this wasn't the year that Buffalo ended their drought and won the Super Bowl. Well, recency bias, splash moves, and a hot start to the season led us to this point. But, you know, by about week 12, the chinks in the armor were pretty clear. And I I hope that they are willing to work on those and get it ironed out this offseason. The beautiful part is there's a lot of time and the Bills have a lot of draft picks. I believe they have nine or ten coming up this year. And the cap wizard... Brandon Bean is going to have to work his cap magic to uh, keep Buffalo under the salary cap and make some competitive moves to get this roster over the top. Jamie, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor getting to talk Bill's football with you each week of the regular season. We now, we will continue with Bill leave during the off season. We will continue with our weekly episodes here. We welcome your feedback. What are you thinking Bill's fans after this season ended prematurely? Uh, what do you think uh, about the way the season ended? Uh, and then we, if you have a topic for a show you want us to drop in the off season, we are always looking for good topics that will engage with our audience. Get involved with us on Twitter. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico and I am at John Boccasino. Jamie, thank you for being a vital part of my bills fandom and for getting me through this very uh, turbulent time in our fandom, because I, I had my tickets for Atlanta. I was ready to go to the AFC title game And now I'm sitting here at home talking Bills football with you, buddy. Well, you know what? There's nobody I would rather revel in my misery with than you, buddy. Cheers. Right back at you, friend. And uh, for all of our Bills Mafia members, please again get involved with our podcast. We want your feedback. Keep your heads up. We'll be back talking more Buffalo Bills football next weekend on Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast.